I'm Andrew from the Dad.io podcast. Life supplies the inputs and we supply the outputs. Part of the Going to Geek Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic and amazing geeky shows at goinggeeknetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by The CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth Prime's newspaper in 2040, the Starling Tribune. We've all had tremendous cosmetic surgery. I'm the chief editor, SP, and your other award-winning reporters of this special episode number 262 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. Do it for Oliver. Yeah, the man whose picture was in this episode. And Michelle. Oh, frack you. You know, it's so great that since 2003, the geek culture has adopted frack as a swear word, and that is going back 19 years now. I always love it when frack gets used. So, hey, long live the fracking. Not for, like, oil purposes. I mean, for, like, cursing purposes. Sorry. Thanks, Felicity. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, January 23rd, 2020, live on www.geeks.live. That's right, and this evening we'll be discussing Green Arrow in the Canaries, as well as possible news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped in the past week that could and will impact the final episode of Arrow, as well as the rest of the shows. So Flash, Supergirl, Legends Tomorrow, Black Lightning, I'm probably missing something, but hey, we're all on one Earth, what do I know? We'll catch it later. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at gunnageek.com. We can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. All right. We watched the penultimate episode of Arrow this week. Michelle, break down the creative team for us. This episode is called Green Arrow and the Canaries. It's season eight, episode nine. It aired Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. It was directed by Tara Millay, whose credits include three episodes of Arrow, one Batwoman, and two Hawaii Five-O. Because this is a backdoor pilot, we got lots of writers. We have Bess Schwartz, who's written 32 episodes of Arrow and is the current showrunner. Mark Guggenheim, who's written 21 episodes of Arrow and is the former showrunner. Jill Blankenship, who has written six episodes of Arrow and seven of The Last Ship. And Oscar Balderrama, who has written 21 episodes of Arrow. Big team. Yes, good team indeed. I remember Jill Blankenship's name coming up on a lot of good episodes of Arrow. I'm going to have to revise my memory by looking at her IMDb post podcast right now. This episode aired post-crisis. It was the last episode, second to last episode, aired post-crisis of the CW show, and it started on Sunday, the 19th of January, with Batwoman airing the 10th episode of the series, with a live rating of .79, How Queer Everything Is Today, followed by Supergirl, who aired the 10th episode of the 5th season, The Bottle Episode, and The Bottle Episode was not what I thought, but it was pretty cool, live rating of 0.84. Black Lightning on Monday before this episode of Arrow aired, the 10th episode of the third season. 
with a live rating of 0.54 with the title The Book of Markovia, Chapter 1, Blessing and Curses Reborn. Legends aired their episode, the first episode of the fifth season. Remember, their episode of the crossover was technically in episode zero, and it did not contain the full Legends crew. They had a live rating of 0.72 to meet the Legends, and we got the documentary of the Legends. And then this episode of Arrow, titled Greenery and the Canaries, had a live rating of 0.92, so... Arguably the highest rated of the week. Yay, Arrow, you win! It is also Arrow's second highest rated episode this season, only behind Crisis. They're part of Crisis. So there was a big leap. Yeah, but it's also at 8 o'clock. In the Flash's time slot. Yes. So you have to realize it's an hour earlier. And on Sunday, I think there was some sports ball action going on on Sunday. Uh, NFL playoffs. So that's probably why Batwoman and Supergirl were probably lower. So basically what you're saying is the CW app and DVR numbers are going to be high for those two episodes. Yes. The question I would have for you guys, though, was, was this bump in ratings we already discussed maybe because of 8 p.m. airtime? Is it because a lot of people are excited about the possible spinoff? Or is it because a lot of people are like, holy crap, the Green Arrow is dead. I need to check it out and see what happened. I honestly don't know. So... Figured I'd pose the question, see if anyone had any idea or thoughts. I honestly think a bunch of people thought they were going to watch The Flash. Okay, that's fair. Me too. And The Flash doesn't come back until Tuesday, February 4th. Yeah, because next week is Arrow's finale and then like an hour post-show or whatever that's like a look back on Arrow. So they get all of Tuesday night next week. I hope they don't bring back Kevin Smith for that. They haven't said anything about Kevin Smith and he hasn't done any episodes of Arrow. Something that some fans have complained about a lot because he's written some Arrow comics that a lot of folks like. But I also sort of get it because Arrow's focus is a lot more on the action and the stunt coordination. And Kevin Smith isn't necessarily known for his action and stunt coordination. He's known for like dialogue and team up aspects and quick banter back and forth between folks. So I don't I've never really thought he was the perfect fit for Arrow like a lot of other people thought he would. I'm not necessarily anti-Kevin Smith. I'm anti-the way he acts when he's all excited and everything. And granted, you want somebody that's excited, but the over-excitement was a little bit too much for me. Am I too old? Is that okay with people, or am I too old? No, that's fine. Well, that was the ratings for the week. We'll get into some of these shows later, but we want to focus on this episode, the penultimate episode of Arrow. So we often begin our discussions on our episodes of Arrow about the overall theme of the episode. The production team actually does a pretty good job of containing that theme within the title of the episode. The title of the episode this week was Green Arrow and the Canaries. So, Michelle, what do you got for us? What's the theme for the week? Well, just like the little logo was, you had the green arrow who's Mia flanked by the two canaries, Dinah and Laurel. Was anyone else surprised we didn't get any kind of voiceover to open the show? Like in the past with Arrow, it was always my name is Oliver Queen in the intro other than like during crossover episodes. And this just went straight into the credits. No, no voiceover little section as we get to the beginning of the show. I was surprised. I half expect them to do something with Mia doing voiceover about Something in Starling City and her father died to save everyone there or to give everyone a better tomorrow. 
Okay, that's cool, because I was thinking it was going to be something like, Hi, I'm like Mia Queen, and I'm the daughter of the Green Arrow, and we've been at peace for like a century or so, and I just graduated from college. <laughs> I mean, she's smarter than that, but that's kind of what I expected. Anyway, we learned that Oliver's sacrifice has given Star City 20 years of peace. Who knows that one man's sacrifice could basically end all crime in Star City because it is now like the safest city everywhere. Sorry, Central City with the Flash. And well, Gotham is always Gotham. And National City with Supergirl, Metropolis with Superman. You don't compare to Oliver Queen's sacrifice in Star City. How did you feel about that, Chris? I sort of get what they were trying to get at, which is, hey, Oliver Queen's sacrifice, what he did to reshape this Earth. He kind of put a lot of pieces in motion so that Star City would be a safe place for his children to grow up. I don't know that it's necessarily that criminals aren't acting there because they're in awe or respect of the past Green Arrow. I, in my inference, was that when the Earth was reshaped and Oliver Queen was helping to form it, he was trying to find a safe haven for his children, and that's why Star City's so safe. That's why it's built up, and it looks all bright and shiny like Metropolis, and you don't hear any mention of like the Glades being a terrible place to be that's run down and full of poverty, stuff like that. So, to me, I took it as Oliver built the perfect city for his children to grow up in. I was thinking of it in terms of a comic book reboot, because we've gotten a ton of those lately in the last 10 years. Just recently with the DC comic universe, you had Rebirth. And I was thinking... In terms of the reboot here or Flash 4, I don't know what you want to call this, backdoor pilot. It wasn't, it was more than a backdoor pilot. It was a full blown pilot. I was thinking in terms of this that actually, if you think in terms of the comic book reboot, they did a really good job because you've reset several characters, Dinah Drake being one, and you've been able to move the scene to a different setting within the same city. I think they did a pretty good job with the re if you think in terms of a comic book reboot, this is better than a lot that I've seen lately. I don't disagree. I mean, this is a lot of different reboots we're seeing now. I haven't gotten caught up on a lot of the other episodes, but everything's dealing with crisis fallout. So we get our crisis fallout here to see what it meant for star city. And then like you mentioned, what it meant for Dino, what it meant for Laurel, we get kind of a confirmation of which Laurel we have in earth prime now. Because a lot of people were of theory, is it going to be Earth-1 Laurel merged with Earth-2? It's going to be just Earth-2 Laurel or some kind of hybrid. And the implication we get is this is the Laurel that we had in Arrow Season 8, which is from Earth-2, working with Oliver, references her time as Black Sire and stuff like that. So does that mean that our Laurel doesn't exist from Earth-1 technically anymore? There's some interesting stuff to delve deep into. I wouldn't blame Oliver for... I don't know, making that decision, but perhaps subconsciously considering season two, Laurel, because Chris, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disrespect your favorite character ever. I'm sorry. I think it might also be subconsciously. He didn't want to see that Laurel die again. And I don't think it's arguable, but Earth 2 Laurel is a better fighter. She's a meta. She's more equipped to do the hero thing. So if by bringing her to the forefront, he protects the memory he has of his friend that he lost, that he saw die in front of him, arguably because she wasn't trained well enough, you kind of prevent that from happening by making the new Laurel Prime be Earth 2 Laurel. I don't know how they're going to spin it. I had some questions on where exactly Laura came from 
is she the 2040 version of Laurel or is she the 2020 version of Laurel that was propelled forward in time by her sister on the time ship? I have no idea exactly what's going on with Laurel. Presumably, if the series gets a go, which it has not been greenlit yet, that we would find out her backstory. My understanding was that Sarah brought her to the future. I think they said something that effective. How'd you get here? Sarah did. Sarah found Dinah when Dinah got magically jumped to the future for reasons we haven't figured out yet. So I think they used the Legends of Tomorrow as a convenient way to bring Laurel from 2020 to 2040. I'm still not convinced that she's the 2020 Laurel. She could be the 2040 Laurel. Well, I think she might be more like the 2021 or 2022 Laurel we're looking at. But if that was the 2040 Laurel, they'd have to age her up a little bit, I would think. Yeah, they aged Dinah a little bit. Not really. Not compared to what we saw from 2040, Dinah. Dinah is straight from Oliver's funeral up to all of a sudden she wakes up in 2040 and she's a club owner. I think you're probably getting the age thing because of the way she's doing her hair and she's kind of got like that bohemian zen wardrobe thing going on yeah so somehow she magically has appeared in the future and laurel is like hey i need you to be a canary again because one year from now everything's just going to be in chaos everything's wonderful right now but in one year the world is going to break and fall into chaos and we've got to stop it Couple of things. First of all, you do have the two canaries. They both use their canary cries at the same time. Dinah's canary cry is back. It was awesome seeing that. And I think the graphics were a little bit different than what we've seen in Arrow, but both canary cry was different. It weren't the same. One and was, the scar was gone. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. The other thing I want to talk about, as long as we're talking about this, is that Oliver did sacrifice himself and you got the propelling forward into 2040 and we talked about this before. The flash forwards are erased. Does this now that the city is going to be in turmoil in a year, does this negate Oliver's sacrifice or not? Now, I originally was like, yes, it does. But no, after watching this episode twice, I have to say, no, Oliver's sacrifice was not in vain. I did agree with his sacrifice and the fact that he made the world or at least Star City better and better for his kids for it. 20 years. So I think that's pretty cool. I think this does check that box. What do you guys think? I think so too. And remember, part of what Oliver had done in Crisis was he basically said, Mia, you're the Green Arrow now. In order for her to become that, can't put her into a terrible city again as a child. He didn't want to do that to grow up in. He wanted her to grow up with her brother and William, things like that. So he created, for lack of a better term, an almost idyllic paradise for her and William to grow up in. And her memories are restored because the canaries show up, things like that. But basically, he gets her to a point where she's grown up, lived that wonderful life through this sacrifice, and then, as needed, can become the Green Arrow again. So I think it honored Oliver's sacrifice appropriately. I'm curious about something. I understand why certain individuals would have like their memories restored. Like Cisco somehow got John Jones's master headache thing into a ring but what gets me it's like it's 20 years later and sarah i'm sorry to spoil legends but it's not really it's too much of a spoil for legends sarah said that she was a paragon and she went back to like the big bang and saw the universe be redone doesn't there come a point where basically time settles 
and there really isn't going to be another set of memories for you. I understand like right after the event, because like the jello is still setting, but 20 years has passed and wouldn't the jello have set by now? Presumably, but I think this is, as Neil would put it, was one of those instances because plot. I mean, that's the only thing I can really think of. I tend to agree with you with that thought of it should settle and it should become incredibly difficult to try and resurrect memories from someone who, when Crisis actually finished, technically is like one year old. And it was her future version that was brought back to 2020 that remembers these things. And then I guess maybe they're saying that the future version of Mia then got tossed forward to 2040 after crisis and that's how they're spinning it is it's still jello for her because maybe it's only been say two days since crisis and she's just been plopped into the new life i don't know if you think in terms of cosmic timelines the universe is so old older than we can comprehend so a human life span is so small so i'm thinking that the tear in space time that did all this is still healing a little bit and that in the span of a human lifetime that it is okay to have memories in the cosmic space still be available to pull back that's the best i got yeah i don't think there's a great answer here i think they might be able to write their way into one at some point in time just based off the fact that everyone's spitballing like i have my own idea of how this might have happened Maybe they can combine something out of like six different theories out there and be like, this is our definitive theory for how memory restoration works post-crisis. I got it. Billions and billions. I don't know. This is Carl Sagan. There you go. Well, since we're talking about the time stuff, I know I'm jumping to the end of the episode, but whoever is the bad person wakes up. I don't like saying the term wake up. Because I don't, he's already awake. I don't see this timeline as a dream. It's Oliver Sacrifice made this a reality. And then somebody uses the exact same ring or, you know, one like it and restores JJ's memories. So now we have really cool adjusted art dealer JJ who's now having to be have deathstroke memories again are they going to do this to connor because connor's like the bad guy well like the rebel out of rehab i don't want to call him the bad guy but he's now like the troubled kid on the bad side of the tracks or whatnot his dad was brown steiger so it's not i mean if, if you're thinking in terms of things are in the family which this episode went into because you got mia queen being the green arrow you've got the huntress with the bertinelli's being crime family and you got this so it's it is kind of genetic they're trying to pull those strings forward from the old show to the new show yeah i was also wondering though if they're going to use the magic memory ring to restore the memory of anyone else in 2040 it would make if this goes to series, it could make for an interesting dynamic where the only two people that remember both timelines, aside from the Canaries, of course, would be JJ and Mia. And then everyone else is kind of stuck in this current thing. And eventually it could come to some point where I need William to do something for me. He doesn't understand how important it is or what the implications are. Okay, we need to use the ring on him so that he remembers everything from before and realizes maybe they build their way up that way. And that's how they start bringing everyone's memories pre-crisis back could be interesting or it could be very clunky to have to deal with i don't know 
I really wanted this to be its own show. I understand it's a spinoff and it's taking place post-crisis. I just would like to it have been the stand on its own. Uh, Oliver Sacrifice did this. We have this very interesting life now. And someone from this world naturally wants to destroy it for some reason. And that's what we have. Instead of somebody doing timey-wimey stuff, we have one timey-wimey show in this universe. It's Legends. That's it. I mean, Flash is a bit because of the whole speed force, but that's part of the whole speedster thing. I really don't want another one that's all timey-wimey because that's what this would be. Oh, you remember this parallel thing. I was just like, why can't this stand on its own? I think they can move past that, though, if they start making other people remember. It becomes kind of a thing for an episode or two, and then everyone adjusts to the new reality. That was one of my complaints I had with this episode, though, was just how they spend part of their time with Mia being like, why would you do this to me? Why would you make me remember all of these things? And I can't help but think were I in her position, where I've lived an entirely different life, where I've witnessed my father die, I've lived this life in the terrible star city where everything is going wrong. And now I'm in this idyllic life and you force my old memories back on me because you need me. That's BS. And I should be mad at you. And I think they touched on it a little bit, but I, I would have a very hard time of thinking I would be able to let that go that soon. Couple of thoughts here. First of all, I know this is set in Earth Prime Arrowverse, so it's crossover Arrowverse just 20 years in the future. We're kind of in agreement about that. But 20 years in the future, are they alone? Is this going to be the only group of superheroes we have? Is this Earth Prime in a bottle, basically, because all the other superhero shows are 20 years in the past? Are we not going to get any help from anybody else? I mean, Cisco was mentioned, but at the same time, if we're assuming Laura was brought forward from 2020, I don't know if anybody's still around. I mean, they might have all taken care of everything. The whole Earth might be at peace, really. I think it's entirely possible and easy from a production standpoint that if you wanted to have supergirl or superman show up that's a lot easier because kryptonians don't age at a very quick pace they're pretty durable so you would assume that they could basically look like they normally do in the shows we have now and they could always old age make up other people from our current shows that move forward do i think they're going to do it no i think they kind of want this to stand on its own after this that i think because of making this episode nine of season eight they had to have it tie in to the overarching story we've had, which is why we had the canaries came and are resurrecting memories because we saw something back in the past that means the future is doomed unless you save this person. I think we'll kind of move away from the baggage of 2020 Star City if they move forward with Greenlight, and it'll just be here's the stories we have in 2040 Star City. And I would be intrigued to see what they do with it potentially. I think there's a lot of potential paths they could go. One of the fan theories I saw that was out there as well. Kate Kane would probably be 45, 48 at this point in time, getting a bit old to be Batman. Maybe we can talk about a Batman Beyond kind of thing happening in Gotham and do our own riff on that and have like the Batman Beyond of 2040 starts tying into things. So there's potential for them to have other heroes show up. I think they would probably cash in on that. I don't know if they could pull these guys into a crossover easily without being like, the legends are going to 2040 to pick up Laurel because we know she's there. And oh, look, she's bringing this entire group of people from the future back. So I don't think we'll get that. But quickly, I thought of that, too. And 
the chair at the Hall of Justice with the green arrow symbol on it, it's meant for Mia at this point. So I can't imagine her not being part of it. And I was thinking of ways that they could pull her in. It's a comic book show they can, but I just don't know what the effects would be. Probably nothing unless they're talking about the future of all humanity or whatever. We need to bring her back from the future. Kind of like they did with, let's go with Brainiac, right? With the Legion and he was brought back from the future. He's from the future, so it's doable, but I don't know how often you want to do it. But it's tough to take your lead from a show set in the future and bring them to the past for an extended period of time, so I think that would be difficult. I think it's entirely possible you could see some incarnation of the League or the Super Friends or whatever we want to call them in 2040 as well, where they've built things up and they can be like, this chair has been sitting empty for 20 years, ready for someone ready for Oliver's family or the next Green Arrow to take and have that be a moment of some kind with an older Barry Allen and some of the other folks that might have been there since the very beginning. They could go a lot of ways. I know Michelle has to tell, but I gotta, I gotta do this. I, I did do it last time when we were talking about crisis, so I gotta do it out. <clears throat> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Right? That's all I got. <laughs> I had to do it. Exactly. You know, where's Gleek 20 years from now? Anyway, <laughs> I just thought that would have been funny if she had a pet monkey named Gleek. Anyway, one of the things I did like was that last fight at the complex. We had, you know, me as the Green Arrow, the Canaries. They're kicking butt, doing their thing. Then the bad guy, Trevor, blows it up and we get cool chicks zip lining away from the explosion. That was so cool. I was watching that, but the whole thing with the explosions going on in the background, and then they get down and they do their hero pose, and then I'm not even going to repeat what was said back at them. I, I don't think it's appropriate uh, what she said, but I guess it's appropriate for CW, so okay. It just reminded me of the whole uh, parody song that they did with Lonely Island. It was cool, guys, don't look at explosions, and like this whole, all these scenes from different movies where people are just walking away dramatically with explosions in the background. I'm like, oh. Cool superheroes don't look at explosions in 2040 is what we're getting. And I had a little laugh to myself. The fight was pretty cool, too. I was thinking about the fights throughout. And we've been talking about the fights in the fight choreography of the show since the beginning. Because it had a good street fight vibe. It wasn't quite up to the Daredevil level. But it was pretty close for a TV, you know, producing in eight days. We talked about this extensively on the show in the previous 261 episodes. But I thought that the fight choreography it was kind of limited i mean it wasn't all show all the way through but it was done really well low effects and it was practical effects for the most part some wire work and you got real moves going on you could clearly see that there were stunt people phasing in and out because there were quick cuts and you couldn't see the face that sort of thing but i think it was done pretty well you had a lot of activity from these ladies really beating the crap out of other people. And it was pretty believable to me after watching the show for eight years. So yeah, I think they did a great job. I think if they continue this, if they get green lit and they continue this with the rest of the show, they're going to do okay. Mia wakes up in the queen mansion. Do we think it was rebuilt or do we think it was never destroyed and is Moira alive? Well, if you saw set photos from next week's episode, that will answer that question. Yes, Moira's alive in 2020, it appears. So 
Whether she is in 2040, I don't know or not. The implication that we got is the destruction of the Queen Mansion that took place in like late season two in the comics, I think it was. The comic bridge between season two and three, I think, is where they actually destroyed it. I think that got undone as part of Crisis. And how I looked at it again was Oliver building this perfect world for his children to grow up in is the Queen Mansion, his home, and a, a relatively safe place to live, one could argue, is back. We had that, con- all we had to go between season two and season three, like the mansion just disappeared, right? All we had to go on was that comic book, the season 2.5 comic book that we talked about on the show years ago. And that was the only thing that told us that the Queen Mansion had been burnt down until they, they did it later on in the show to retro tell everybody what had happened to the Queen Mansion. It was great seeing the Queen Mansion back. I don't know if they're going to keep it in the show if they green light this series or not, but it was good seeing it back again. And I think that's one thing that I'm looking forward to next week. And one of the factors that maybe next week's episode, if you're doing this on your own watch, you might want to watch episode 10 before you watch episode 9 sort of thing. And it would make a bigger comeback getting it with Oliver than we would got with Mia. But it was cool seeing Mia wake up in Oliver's room. We talked about that a little bit in the pre-show, that the episode order of things, at least specifically I was having difficulty with the fact we go from crisis, Oliver dies, and we're like, okay, we need to see the fallout from this. And uh, no, no, your fallout is you get the backdoor pilot to 2040, where we kind of mentioned some stuff from back then, and then we'll go do the finale next week. Even though if the order of events that they present there is Dino wakes up in the future after the funeral that we haven't seen yet. I struggle with it a little bit. I know why they did it, because this is the best place to put that backdoor pilot to get the most number of eyes on it is. Right after Crisis, before the finale, you'll get a lot of folks watching it. It's just, it was difficult for me because that's not what I wanted to see this week. I wanted to see what's the fallout from Crisis for Oliver's family and everyone around him and didn't really get that. SP, is there anything else about the episode you want to talk about? I got a lot to talk about. And I said part one before. I'm going to talk about part two right now. You mentioned that there was difficulty if you go 20 years in the future, how do you handle it? That sort of thing. Think of any other show that has time jumped 20 years to do a sequel or something like that. And one thing that comes to mind right away is the original series of Star Trek and the Next Generation. The original series actors did take part with the Next Generation crew, just about all of them. However, it was an entirely different show. And it wasn't an immediate, it wasn't like the kids of the original series or you didn't have Captain Chekhov or Captain Sulu in the subsequent show there. So it was a little bit different. I'm stretching my mind. I'm sure it's happened, but I'm stretching my mind to think of any show that has done it similarly and if it has been more or less successful in doing it. I don't think anybody's really tried. There's not a lot of people that play with big time jumps other than, like you mentioned, Star Trek. I mean, we sort of got out with the Star Wars movies, but it naturally been almost over 20 years so it worked there for taking luke from return of the jedi to force awakens stuff like that okay so star wars but it's not a tv show i'm, I'm specifically thinking of any tv sh- it would be really hard to do okay so you could talk about soap operas i guess but you, you don't have a, a genre or an action show or you don't have er 20 years later i'm not sure i mean that would be a different thing of try to pull up but i'm not sure how you do it here didn't Sequest do like a 10-year jump or something like that? So that was Sequest. That was the entire ship 
that was propelled into the future and they no longer had their technological advantage. They were just like everybody else at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to just come up with something and I don't really have an answer for you because I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Just like we were talking about the production value of the crisis and how they were done by five separate production teams and it would have been better as a mini series, but nobody has done anything like that before. So I can't really argue with the fact that they are stretching and trying to make this into a new, new show. They got decent for CW. They got decent actors. They got decent setup. They got all these sets already because you can argue that Dinah's apartment is really Oliver's apartment, the set anyway, but it's really, oh, we haven't talked about it. It's really the clock tower. Did you see the face and everything? It's the clock yep. tower. Yep. So that was pretty cool. And the... One thing I wanted to say, Laurel Lance's motorcycle is an e-bike. I've been watching, and Steven lives out in that area, and he's said that he's seen these motorcycles out there, these e-bikes, or uh, they're Holly Davison's, I believe. I yep, watched, I've seen one of them. Okay. Well, I've watched this uh, sailing YouTube channel called Finding Simon, and he's on Gabriel Island, which is north of Vancouver. His girlfriend lives in Vancouver, so he went into Vancouver, and they actually, for his birthday, he's big into green power and everything. He's making a sailboat entirely green power. But he rented a Tesla, and he rented one of these e-bikes. So I've seen these e-bikes around. I'm not surprised that they tried to pull it into the show as a futuristic motorcycle, and it was just laurels. The other two bikes, oh, we got the three motorcycles with the main characters. We got Mia riding hers, we got Laurel riding her e-bike, and we got Dinah riding her. That was pretty cool with the car chase. We haven't had that in a long time. We haven't had the motorcycle chase going on. Yeah, that was neat. We haven't talked about it because it's probably non-news, but Sarah Diggle was not in the episode. Well, that was known for a while that she wasn't going to be in there. And besides, if they had cast it, then it would have ruined that part of Crisis that we all kind of figured was going to happen anyway, but whatevs. Right. Another thing that we talked, I talked about the character changing of Dinah Drake, but Zoe's alive again. So the, the whole reset, the reboot allowed Zoe to come back. And I don't know if you have this show with Zoe or not. We didn't have Diggle or Lila in this episode. And I don't even know if they're still around or not. I tended to think that Diggle might have been behind some things, but I don't know if we'll see him. He's the Green Lantern by now, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Renee's going for his third term as mayor. He is. And I don't know if he's still centered in the Glades or if he's just, is the Glades even a thing anymore? Maybe it's all developed. Right. So there was no real mention of the Glades. And I was, the pure implication that I took out of that was, that, oh, Star City as a whole is prosperous. So while there might be an, a neighborhood, an area that's called the Glades, it's not really equivalent to what we've seen in the previous seven seasons of Arrow, where the Glades was run down, damaged, dirty, people down on their luck, things like that. I took the implication that it was just part of the beautiful, sparkly Star City. One thing that I think we need to discuss, we're talking about a show set 20 years in the future. Think 20 years in the past. This is 2020 right now, so you have to go back to 2000. Did you have a smartphone? In 2000. No, you might have had a cell phone, but you did not have a smartphone. So in 20 years, are people still going to be using smartphones? Mia and JJ both showed their cell phones. And it is basically like a modern cell phone. So how do you do a show in the future and still keep up with 
futuristic tech, but use you're on a low budget and it's not Doctor Who. You're not doing the B cheesy stuff. How do you keep that show going? Well, you sort of saw some of it there because they were on computers and tablets doing things. And we never actually see the screens of those things or really how they're interacting with it. So for all we know, they're touchscreen, like super responsive displays, anything like that. But remember, when Dinah is in her apartment and she's on like the laptop listing the bugs they put in the Bertinellis or whatever, we don't see anything other than just a screen there and like a tablet that's seemingly docked next to it. So they're sort of just kind of obscuring this future tech. And one would assume if they get greenlit and they get picked up for 13, 22 episodes, whatever, they'll have to come up with some way to actually show off some of the more advanced future technology because it's going to get very difficult over the course of an entire season to kind of be like, look that way while we don't show you this future stuff that isn't really that futuristic, but we don't want you to notice. Especially since William is in charge of smoke tech. You cannot have William there who gets kidnapped at the end of this episode and not have future tech. Do we know that William's in charge of smoke tech? I mean, Felicity could still be around. Uh, the implication is that he's the one in charge. He kept offering me a oh, job and all that type of stuff. So he's probably in charge. He's either in charge or he's really high up in the hierarchy is what I took away from it. Uh, my assumption was that he was in charge because prior to the reboot of things, he had his own highly successful software company. And my assumption was the world Oliver would build. He would try and keep that in place because he made a point of saying how proud he was of his son for building his own business and being in charge of it. and being a tech genius billionaire or whatever. And I don't see Emily Beck Rickards coming back for another series. No. Okay. And arguably you don't want a lot of the past generation to come back for this one set in the future, because then you're going to have that problem of people like, well, I just want to see these characters I love from the past. I don't care about the future. So you don't think that Roy or Thea would be a part of this? I don't think they would be a permanent part of it. Let me put it that way. Do I think they could appear? Yes. Do I think they could have small arcs in there from time to time? Yes. Do I think they'll be regulars? No. Would have been fun to have the Huntress back. Yeah, that would have been neat. But the way they described it, the Bertinelli's in this rebooted world weren't crime families, really, and that she was clean and arguably not the Huntress. Oh, you'd have to memory do her. Yeah, you'd have to memory flashier, and we haven't seen her since, what, season two? So who knows what happened in the interim to the Huntress. If she came back, she was in jail, right? She was in prison. Wasn't that in season two, though? No, that was like season five. Yeah, she was still in prison, even like in season seven and eight. Or she could have gotten out. We just never saw her. Yeah, they referenced her there, but we haven't actually seen the character. Uh, sorry, I wasn't clear on what I was thinking. Okay, at the building at the end that explodes and we get our you know heroes rappelling down on the three lines with the hero pose. It explodes because the greenery is explosive? What the frack? It was an energy collection device, and maybe they somehow screwed with... Because they made a point of saying the greenery is used to capture solar energy and stuff like that, so... I don't know. It uses photosynthesis, and with photosynthesis, as we know, oxygen is released. So if it's capturing the oxygen, oxygen is highly flammable. Then, boom? Yeah, that's the route I was going with it. And also, because plot. Thank you, Neil. One last thing I have for you guys. Uh, the main villain was purported as a she. 
I don't think this she is somebody that we have not seen before, although it could be. Who do you think is the she behind everything? And did the she give JJ his memories back? So let's take question number one. Who is the she? Chris, I know you got a theory. I don't actually have a theory at this point in time. I was trying to think of like a class. It's they'll probably make it be some kind of uh, birds of prey villain from the comics or something like that. But I'm just struggling to figure out which one. I don't think it's going to be someone from 2020 that's leapt to 2040. I think that would be a bit overkill. I was thinking back to season two. Huntress? No, Ravager. Oh, yeah. I guess they could undead her. Of course, she might not be dead anymore. Yes, I was wondering if a shadow. <gasps> because the symbol on the Hosen is the tattoo that Trevor had. And so I was wondering, because the Hosen is tied to the island, those on the island would be Shadow. Also, does Slade have a daughter in the Arrow TV shows, or was it just sons? They had Isabella on there. Remember, that was season, was that season three? Yeah, so I guess you could also try and spin it as, since they keep wanting to tie into Deathstroke legacy and everything they do, literally everything anymore mentions Deathstroke, and it annoys me because it's not Manu Bennett, but neither here nor there. You could try and make that be Slade's daughter. It's not Will Smith either. I, I know it's Deadshot, but anyway. <laughs> I was very confused. Yeah. I'm out. Thank you very much. <laughs> SP, who do you think it is? A Ravenger is what I was thinking it, that it would be good to bring back. I think it would be a big name that would draw some viewers. And I think a do-over there would be enticing. Is it going to be that? I have no idea. They could pick whoever they want at this point. It could be, who was the main villain in season seven? I can't remember her name off the top of my head. Uh, oh, um, it's not her. We saw her in Reset. Yeah, um, but it's not her because she shows up in the finale. Emiko. You know, it could be Artemis Yeah, getting back at everybody because it's like, you left me on that island. <laughs> I was there. I was left in that cage. You completely forgot about me. F you. I'm ruining everything because you ruined my life. <laughs> and maybe it is. Maybe it's Artemis. But who knows if she exists post-crisis. That's part of the things we run into now. But I love the theory. I tried to. I took it seriously, though. I apologize. <laughs> Did Leanne, you blow up? No. <gasps> is the magician still alive? Oh. <laughs> yeah, next week is going to be fun. I mean, uh, Quentin Lance could still be around and probably is. And it's just going to be fun next week. I'm looking forward to next week. Chris, do you have any last thoughts about the episode? I touched on a little bit. Stop making everyone be Deathstroke. There's one Deathstroke. Not everyone needs to assume the mantle. It's getting tiresome because that seems to be the go-to move right now. And I say that because I love Manu Bennett as Deathstroke, so I'm tired of getting teased with Deathstroke and it not being him. I'm tired of it. Now I'm all cranky. <laughs> I can understand. It's really not supposed to be a character who has a mantle to pass on. Right. It's not Batman. <laughs> not really. Well, for me, I guess the biggest thing is if this goes to series, do you want to watch it? And I am not sure. I don't care about this show. I didn't care about it when we were getting it this week. And I knew when I went to go watch it, it would be a struggle because I didn't care about most of the 2040 stuff we were getting prior to this and crisis happening and potentially rebooting it 
didn't make me care about it a ton either. And maybe it's just because I'm also a little bit ready to be done with Arrow because of eight years of talking about it and podcasting with it. I was like, yeah, I'm ready to let this show pass on. It's been a good run and I'm ready for it to stop. SP? I know I said last episode that I wasn't going to watch all the rest of the shows, but I I did this week because I wanted to see what was happening post-crisis. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to watch all the way until Flash comes back on the February 4th to get a full sense of how the Arrowverse has moved forward post-crisis. But I'm in Chris's boat right now. I need to take a step back. It's been a long eight years and... I just need to take a break, basically, and I will stop watching all the shows. I will take a deep breath. I will just take a little vacation of podcasting from everything to deal with the Arrowverse. And I might come back later on. I mean, I'm hoping all these shows will be available on streaming over the summer. So if I get good reviews of what has happened between now and then. But what I'm seeing is that it's more of the same from all the shows. We'll talk about it in a second. but. I don't know if I'm going to watch if it goes to series, I probably won't watch it, but it doesn't mean that the key audience won't watch it. I think they will. I think as a matter of fact, with a feminine based show and not that it's feminine, but there's women that are in the key lead roles. And I know we have that on Legends of Tomorrow. I know we have that over on Supergirl, but this is different. This is street fighting. And I think there's a demographic that is going to watch this. So, I I mean, there's a demographic that's watching Batwoman. So I think there's a demographic that would watch this. This is why I was hoping for a current time Birds of Prey. Yeah. That would have completely been possible, even post-crisis, because you could have had Helena back. You could have had another. There's so many other different characters that they could have pulled from. That could have been reformed or redeemed or something like that. You could even have Talia on it. Who knows? This, uh, she's a little busy in Hawaii, though. I'm talking about say, people that they could have realistic done and casting wise, like who could have like gone. Yeah, that would have been cool. The problem is it suffers from the same thing that the Suicide Squad did. DC wants to make a movie, so they're not going to let you touch that property on TV right now because we have the Harley Quinn co-ops everything about the uh, Birds of Prey movie coming out in February. Or is it March? I wonder post-crisis if that's going to be part of it. I I wonder because... Unlikely. With the Ezra Miller scene, CW reached out, or uh, Warner Brothers reached out to make that happen. So they might say, okay, we have this over here on Earth Prime. But that's a different Earth. Exactly. Oh, well, that's fine. I mean, because nobody on Earth Prime knows that there's a multiverse anymore, so it can exist on its own Earth somewhere. Oh. Mark Guggenheim confirmed that part. That's why I bring that up in an interview, that nobody on Earth Prime knows the multiverse still exists. Right. And I was thinking that Justice League was over on Earth 12, but the Green Arrow has never been part of the Justice League. So, And it was never stated where Ezra Miller was from. We just know he's he was out there. He was there somewhere and appeared. So do we want to talk about whether or not you're going to continue the rest of these shows or, you know, SP, Chris? It's easy for me. The only one other than Arrow that I've been watching has been Legends of Tomorrow. And I will probably continue to watch Legends, but it'll be just like it was last time, which is I'll do it in fits and spurts where I'll watch two or three episodes at a time and then take a break again and let them accumulate on my DVR. I may check out the Superman and Lois show just because I'm curious to see where they go with it but I'm not committing to it. 
Now, if the rumor ends up being true that they want to do a Brandon Routh Superman show that's on their streaming service, I'll watch the hell out of that as soon as it comes out because I'll support something like that because that was my favorite part about Crisis was seeing him return as Superman. It was arguably my favorite thing they've done in the past couple years on the Arrowverse shows was putting him back in that role because he's so good. So I'm totally all over that. And I'll probably follow the same path SP took, which is if it sounds interesting, I'll check it out when it's on Netflix or HBO Max or whatever service it is. But it's too daunting right now to try and keep up with all of it. It gives me anxiety being like, oh God, I've got to watch five superhero shows this week or I'm going to get behind when there's other things I want to see. Like I want to go watch Star Trek Picard and I've got time now to be able to do that because I've dropped some other stuff. So I I will come and go as I please on it. And honestly, if something sounds interesting, I'll probably pop back in for a little bit. And that's what the internet's for. If there's genuine buzz about something happening, I'll go check it out again for a little bit. Maybe it hooks me again. If I run out of things to watch and I'm on a treadmill, I'll probably gen some of this stuff up, but I am, I'm going to take a break and spoiler alert. I'm going to talk about this week's shows now. So Batwoman started up, and it was interesting with Batwoman. It was subtle, but they put in bits and pieces to make sure that you knew it was part of Earth Prime. But when it came down to it, Batwoman was contained. There was nothing in there that says, oh, we are now part of a larger uh, story. They're continuing on with their story. And actually, I think they did, a de- if you're watching Batwoman, they did a decent job of, of moving on with that story. I'm just not entirely enthralled with the storyline that they got going on right now so that was batwoman and the key part of that was there was an article that was written by cara danvers from catco so you knew exactly you are in earth prime right there talking about cara danvers supergirl came up and supergirl was probably the most affected out of the shows that i've seen so far outside of arrow you know with oliver's death Supergirl was the most affected by everything going on. You had multiple Brainiac 5s, and that was an issue and that they had to work out. Ultimately, they came to a conclusion of it. You had John Jones, and they made him statement about John Jones. He just can't, literally, he can't explode everybody's mind because that would be too much of an upsetting of the verse. So they did put that to a close that they weren't going to John Jones wasn't going to go around the world giving everybody everybody's memories back. It was okay, but in the end, you still had that Lena Luthor, Supergirl fight, basically, and distrust with Lena Luthor. But you did ha- you had the perfect opportunity to put that aside and move on, and I don't think they took it. So I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Black Lightning, there, it's cool, and Superman's real, it's awesome, and everything, but. They reset and they were right back to where they were. And he had a couple of things going on. Like they had like a father daughter heart to heart. And instead of focusing like on the tactics and the mission that they were about to go on and inform everybody of what the plan was, they were just like, okay, well, you know, I trust you or you're the leader now and that sort of thing. And I don't know. I, (sighs) the plot on that, it mystifies me. I have nothing against the actors whatsoever, but the storyline is is not gelling with me as much as I try to get into it. It's just not. Ugh. And then Legends of Tomorrow, they had a very unique take on things, as the Legends of Tomorrow always does. And Chris, it, once you watch it, you're going to have fun watching this episode, but you got to go into it that it is fun. Basically, the premise of the episode is they had a camera crew going around filming a documentary of the Legends post-crisis. 
and you had Ray Palmer coming back talking about Crisis that woo it was great we saw Superman I mean it they're playing it up for him right now Brandon Routh it, it was it was fun watching that whole thing and he wasn't talking about himself he was talking about Tyler Hoechlin and you had Sarah dealing with Oliver's death and they dealt with that in a very unique way because the camera crew that was there but ultimately the legends of the legends and they're still dealing not with the crisis screw up but they're dealing with the time screw up that they had when they created Hayworld or that they they had the incident at Hayworld so it's different than crisis i don't think they're affected by crisis at all they made some changes but it, none of it was attributed to crisis i don't know if the show is ever really going to i mean it's convenient that you could bring the characters over for the crossover but i don't know if there's ever going to be a crossover there okay so that said all the shows seem to be continuing on their same storyline, which is what I said that they were going to do. And they're just part of Earth Prime now. And yeah, with that said, I don't know. It didn't entice me to watch it anymore, basically. They had an opportunity to do a hard reset, and they didn't do a hard reset. They almost did a soft reset, basically. I enjoyed Legends. I like the craziness of it. I know it felt off but i think it's supposed to feel off again because they have zari's brother instead of zari and something's missing which is zari so you know like as sp said it's not really crisis it's what they did and i think that's why it does feel off because of that and really the only and really they attribute Gary's change to Nora because she's a fairy godmother now, which is amazing. That that was just amazing. And Gary, Gary's Gary. I love it. <laughs> I just love it. Gary was great. You know, with the Time Bureau gone, what they did with I'm not sure what exactly Ava's role is, but I'm going with it. It's okay. Person who helps kick ass. Right. Oh my gosh. Talking about the fights that were on Arrow, the fights between Ava, or not between, the fight that Ava and Sarah were able to collaborate on, the two of them are just a dynamic duo that I have no words for. It's fun to watch when they're in action mode. I still enjoy Batwoman. I've stopped watching Black Lightning because the story never gelled, and I just, I just couldn't pick it back up. I thought Supergirl was interesting but i wasn't expecting mama luther back i thought it was interesting that lena still has her memories because that's what lex wanted lex's name was on the book of destiny so yeah yeah you know it's lex that one is, is i'm still on the fence about so i i'm still enjoying batwoman and legends supergirl's on the fence and i'm gonna have to see how flash handles it that's fair I want to go back to Batwoman for a second. Do you think the scene at the end, do you think that's a misdirect? I think it's a misdirect. I do too. Okay. Because I think they wanted to go kind of the same way that Super, or they want you to think that you're going the same way that Supergirl went, but I think it's like totally different. And I, I won't spoil that part of it, but I, I don't think it is what it looks like at face value. Exactly. So... Have we aired all of our grievances? Do we feel better, gentlemen? I think so. I didn't necessarily feel bad, but yeah, the things that I 
Okay, the exploding greenery had me for a little bit, but I'm okay. You guys help me with that. Thank you. Well, next week, it's here, folks. Fade Out, Season 8, Episode 10. It will air Tuesday, January 28th, and it's the end of Green Arrow. It's going to be directed by James Banford, and it was written by Beth Schwartz and Mark Guggenheim. It's the end of an era. Well, a big thank you as we wrap up the show to all of our live listeners who participate in the chat over at Geeks.Live. I did see American Liberty in the chat uh, hitting us up with some comments as we were doing it live this week. Also, a big thank you to those of you that download the audio version over at StrongTribune.com or catch the video replay at YouTube.com slash GunnaGeek. And if you want to talk to us post-show, you can always head on over to our Discord server at GunnaGeek.com slash Discord. There will be a channel. Right now, it's called Starling Tribune. We might keep Starling Tribune. We might rename a channel specifically to talk about the DC Comics. Might be the Starling Tribune. I don't know. I'll talk to Steven about it. And we'll make those plans available next episode. But you can always catch us there. And then if you're getting this podcast before next Thursday, remember you can join us for our final episode, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific on January 30th, 2020. And we would love to hear from you for our final show. Um, We are the Starting Tribune on Facebook and Instagram at Starling Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-K. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag three-term mayor, Hoss. At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag Queen Mansion is back. And I am Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag Cool chick zip line from explosions. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.